Well, you may be seated. I'm going to introduce our guest speaker to a, you this morning. Um, he is a retired pastor and teacher and has served in the prisons for over 20 years. I say that right? <laughs> and you may better know him as Stuart Krynock's father. This is Roger Krynock, so let's welcome him to the stage. Well, I hope you know my son through the church and not because he lit you up on one of the streets in Plymouth. <laughs> well, we're continuing our study this morning through the book of Proverbs. We've uh, heard sermons uh, earlier this summer on themes about work, about our speech, about friendship, about money. Poor uh, Jason last week, over 2,000 verses on money. Well, this morning we're talking about life and death. When Rachel Cabrera brought my assignment to me a few weeks ago, I, I asked her, I said, did Pastor Scott want me to speak on death because he thought I was the closest one to it? <laughs> <laughs> Poor Rachel, she didn't know how to respond. <laughs> well, on a serious note, the biggest question that you need to answer is the question, what is the path to eternal life? The most important decision that anybody makes is the decision regarding their eternal destiny. The Bible says that our earthly life is like a vapor that vanishes very quickly. It's kind of like the steam on your morning cup of coffee. It doesn't last very long compared to eternity. Let's bow in prayer before we uh, dig into the word of God this morning. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is truth. And I thank you that it is a faithful guide for our lives. Jesus said, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. I pray that it might impact every one of us this morning as we think about life and death. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone will exist somewhere forever. I want to begin uh, this morning by giving you a little test. I, I taught as a professor for many years, and I love giving tests. I, I don't particularly like taking them, but I thought I would give you a little test this morning. The test question is very simple. How many religions are there in the world? And I'm giving you four options, A, B, C, or D. Over 5,000, B, about 2,000, C, about 500, or D, two. Now, I was going to ask you to raise ha your hands for each of those which you thought was the correct one, but I thought some of you might be really embarrassed when I tell you the answer. The answer is two. So if you answered A, B, or C, I'm sorry, but you failed the test. <laughs> I'm going to show you this morning that the Bible teaches that there are only two religions. There are only two paths, the path of destruction or the path of eternal life. 
Moses taught two religions. In the book of Deuteronomy, after he had completed reviewing the law with the nation of Israel, Moses said this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. Well, there are two religious paths. There are two options. The way of life or the way of death. The way of blessing or the way of curse. Moses said, honor God and keep his law. That's the way of life. Reject God and his law. That is the way of death. Solomon taught two religions. Solomon knew the critical truth that Moses taught in the book of Deuteronomy, and he taught it repeatedly in the book of Proverbs. He stated in the introduction to Proverbs that his goal in the book was to help his reader to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. Now, when when Solomon spoke about wisdom, he was referring to the revelation of God as it is recorded in his word. People either choose the way of wisdom following God's path of righteousness, or they reject God and his wisdom choosing a path of destruction. Immediately in chapter 1, Solomon stated the consequence of the choice for those who turn away from God's wisdom. He wrote, for the simple are killed by their turning away. The simple are people who are easily misled. Solomon said that wisdom calls people to turn to embrace God's wisdom. But people often choose to turn away from wisdom. And Solomon said the consequence of that is death. He restated their error in the next line when he wrote, the complacency of fools destroys them. Their complacency is their indifference to the wisdom of God. And he said that that indifference will destroy them. Solomon called them fools. And when he used the word fool, he, he didn't mean a buffoon. When Solomon used the word fool, he was referring to an individual who had a moral deficiency, not a mental deficiency. The fool is the person who rejects the wisdom of God and chooses his own way instead. In Proverbs 17, 16, he said, the fool has no desire to get wisdom. Notice how he stated it in chapter 10 as he contrasts two ways of living. The fear of the Lord, he said, prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless, but destruction to evildoers. 
The Bible states repeatedly that a righteous person is someone who does not live by trusting his own way, but places his trust in God alone. In this passage, the hope of the righteous and the expectation of the wicked are set in repeated contrast. The emphasis is upon the Lord as the one who determines the end of the righteous as well as the destiny of the wicked. These three Proverbs speak first of the fate of the righteous. Life, joy, strength. And they conclude with the fate of the wicked. His years will be short, his desires will perish, and he will end in destruction. The expectation of the wicked, whether it's in riches, power, or the sensual pleasures of this world, God's going to frustrate it. His desires will perish. The fate of the wicked is emphasized again in chapter 5 in these words. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. He rejects God and his wisdom. He chooses his own way, the way of death. Now, several times in the book of uh, Proverbs, Solomon observed a general truth about the life of the righteous. Notice I emphasize the words, a general truth. He wrote in chapter 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. Does this mean that if you follow Jesus, you are guaranteed to live till 120? I know one false teacher who says that quite often. When I was a teenager, a very godly man in my church, I still remember his name, Kenny Fote. He was a godly man, but he died very young of a heart attack. The week following his death, the pastor of the church at that time, a Dr. Reckert, announced to the congregation that evidently Kenneth must have been guilty of some serious sin that we didn't know about, that God took him so young. You may remember the death of Nabil Qureshi. He was the author of a very influential book called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Qureshi was only 34 years old when he died. I wept at his death because he had had such a profound influence in my life. I was teaching in the prison and many of my students were following Islam and Qureshi really helped me to understand Islam and to be able to see some of the, the evil in that religious system. My own son, Ed, died young. He was diagnosed with a brain tumor in his late 30s and was dead by 43. So was Dr. Ruckert right? Were Qureshi and my son guilty of some terrible sin, that they died young? 
You may remember the story in John chapter 9. Jesus confronted a blind man. And there were Jews present who said to Jesus, who sinned, his parents or, or him? Their conclusion was that if a man was sick or blind or died young, he must, that must be because of some sin in his life or his parents' lives. And Jesus' response was, neither. This is happening for the glory of God. We don't know the reason that some die young, and we don't know the reason why some get sick and others don't. But we trust God. We've been looking at the two paths the Bible presents, the choice between life and death, between following God and his will or rejecting it. This theme runs all the way through scripture. We've seen that Moses stated it in the book of Deuteronomy. Solomon stated it repeatedly in the book of Proverbs. And the prophets stated it as well. Consider, for example, Jeremiah, who taught that there are two religions. In chapter 17, he wrote in verse 5, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his arm, whose, whose heart turns away from the Lord. And then his warning is quickly contrasted with these words in verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. The New Testament apostles also taught that there are only two religions. Are you seeing a theme? Look at how the Apostle Paul put it in Romans 1. He wrote, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for the lie. A ESV translates it a, -I a lie, but the Greek has the lie. And the lie is that they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Paul said there are only two religious options. Either you worship God or you worship creation. Paul affirmed what we have seen in the Old Testament that there are only two religions. A person either worships and serves the creator or he worships and serves creation. Our own resident theologian, Nate Bachtel, pointed out in class last week, and I quote, when we worship creation, what better to worship than the self? Nate was exactly right. In their recent book, Good Faith, being a Christian when society thinks you're irrelevant and extreme, David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons document that 84% of Americans believe that enjoying yourself is the highest goal of life. 84%. The Westminster Shorter Catechism is a summary of Christian doctrine that is used to teach young converts. 
The first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism is this question. What is the chief end of man? And the answer in the Westminster Shorter Catechism is man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. In our culture, the answer of the catechism has been turned on its head. The majority of people today say, the chief end of man is to glorify and enjoy myself forever. There are many ways that people choose to worship creation, but all those ways are merely variations on a theme. Now, I want you to think about something very important this morning. What we've seen in Scripture is very simple. When people reject God and his wisdom, they are choosing what Dr. Peter Jones wisely called oneism. Their decision is a decision to deny the binary, the distinction between the creator and creation. The binary is twoism, the belief that the creator is not one with the creation, that the creator is distinct. He is eternal and uncreated. You see the destruction of the binary everywhere in our culture today. Pagan religion, which is the rejection of God and the creator-creature distinction, is the worship of creation. And when God is rejected, whether a person verbalizes it or not, he views himself as God. It is argued today that all religions are one. When God and his wisdom are rejected, there's only one religion. Have you seen the coexist bumper stickers around town? I hope none of you have one on your car. Uh, I must admit that in my sinful nature, when I see one of those in front of me, I want to speed up and ram into it. <laughs> uh, after the first service, somebody asked me why I, didn't did, why I don't do that. And I said, well, you know, it could get kind of ugly. The police would come. People would get angry. It, it would be a bad scene. But I hate that bumper sticker. It is really, really wicked. The letter C stands for the crescent moon of Islam. The letter O is the peace symbol in a circle representing oneness. The letter E is replaced by symbols denoting the genders of men and women. And by the way, when, when they are represented the way they are in that symbol, it is a, um, a statement of approval and affirmation of the agenda of the LGBTQQIP2SA plus <laughs> folks. <laughs> I, I had to look up the current list last night because it changes. I, I spoke on this a year ago, and since, since I spoke on it a year ago, they've added letters. The letters stand for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, 
intersex, pansexual, two-spirited, asexual, and then the plus is so that they can add more letters. Are you familiar with maps? <laughs> After first service, one woman said, well, well yeah, no, I know, I've got map, uh, maps on my, you know, Google Maps on my phone. I was like, no, that isn't what I meant. MAP stands for Minor Attracted Persons. And minor attracted persons are people who want to have sex with minors. And they want to be added to the LGBT and so on community. Well, the coexist symbol uh, is, is an obvious uh, visualization that all religious groups should get along. The, the X refers to Judaism, the I is pagan Wiccan, the letter S is the Chinese yin-yang symbol, and the letter T is a cross to symbolize Christianity. Well, it means all religions should get along, but it means much more than that. They're all equal. They're all one. It's a very graphic denial of the binary creator-creature distinction. I pointed out the, the, the circle, the letter O. In paganism, the circle always represents oneness. The denial of the binary is prominently communicated in the letter E as well. The genders are also one. Distinctions between the genders as defined by God in his word must be utterly rejected. Now, if Jesus is the way and the truth and the life as he claimed, and if he is creator, then none of this is true. Religions are not all equal. They are not one. There are two choices, as Solomon insisted. The path of the righteous, who follow the wisdom of God and worship God, and the path of the wicked, who reject him and his revelation. The denial of the binary, as it relates to the sexes, has become paramount in our culture. It is nothing new. It has always been a component of pagan rejection of God and his truth. We must recognize that the rejection of the male-female binary is a cutting-edge component of a religious worldview, notice I said a religious worldview, that is diametrically opposed to the Christian worldview. It is a rejection of God and his revealed truth. God is the creator, and therefore he is the one who defines gender because he is the one who created us male and female. The current homosexual agenda is nothing more than an expression of age-old paganism that rejected the creator God of the Bible. Moses preached a gospel, a very simple gospel, to the the pagan nations surrounding Israel. And the gospel that Moses preached to the pagan nations of his day was this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth because the pagan nations surrounding him rejected that idea. In Solomon's day, uh, 
Canaanite religion promoted androgyny. Androgyny was the combination of female and male characteristics in one person. In Paul's day, Roman and Greek society were known for their sexual perversion. What rejection of the creator-creature distinction ultimately does is to obliterate all the boundaries between good and evil. Ken Wilber, who is a leading neo-pagan mystic, stated it this clearly. The ultimate metaphysical secret, if we dare to state it so simply, is that there are no boundaries in the universe. All boundaries are illusions. I, I stepped into the sound booth up there early this morning, and Michael Joy said, have you told Mr. Krynock about his boundaries? I was told I, I cannot go beyond the lights that are in front of And I said, but there are no boundaries. They're, they're all an illusion. That's the meaning of the yin-yang symbol in the coexist bumper sticker. The boundary between good and evil is gone. They are brought together in the circle. It is the joining of opposites the yin is a symbol of earth, femaleness, darkness, passivity, and absorption. Yang is conceived of as heaven, maleness, light, activity, and penetration. It's a denial of the binary. There are no boundaries. Everything is brought together in the circle. All is one. In pagan religion, in the rejection of God, the joining of opposites is very important. You see that in our culture, don't you? What used to be considered evil is now good. What is good is evil. Adherence to Jesus Christ is bigotry. Solomon strongly affirmed the binary. There is good but there is evil. There is a distinction between the wicked and the righteous. And he wrote again and again about the disastrous consequences for those who choose evil. The Lord's curse, he said, is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. For many people today, the way of salvation is to turn inward and get in touch with oneself. This is nothing new. It's exactly what people were doing in Solomon's day, the ones that he warned so strongly. They were doing what their heart desires, as he wrote in Proverbs 6, verse 18. He wrote there of people's hearts devising wicked plans, and he said in that context that is something God hates. The modern Gnostic Carl Jung said, the self is a circle whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. 
You see, from the center of one's own limitless universe, the self is sovereign. This is the attitude of every person who rejects the wisdom of God, and it is a way to destruction. Every human being who rejects God and the wisdom of God declares himself to be sovereign. I am judge of what is right. It's all about me. Solomon countered the idea of the sovereignty of men decisively in several verses in Proverbs. Look what he wrote in chapter 19. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that shall stand. The point of that verse is to acknowledge the rule of God. God is sovereign, not man. Solomon contrasted the unchanging counsel of God with the shifting plans and purposes of man. The Apostle Paul said that God gave the wicked over to the lusts of their hearts to impurity. He might very well have been summarizing the teaching of Solomon that I mentioned earlier. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Well, why do people reject the binary, the creator-creature distinction? The answer that the Bible gives is because they love their sin, and they do not want to give it up. What Solomon and Paul described about the two religious options, to worship and serve the creator, or to worship and serve the creation, Jesus spoke about as well. He explained in the Sermon on the Mount, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Did you notice? Jesus taught two religions. The broad way and all of its different expressions that leads to destruction and the narrow way that leads to life. Tolerance of all religious ideas makes sense on the broad way. Focusing on religious differences only needlessly divides. So coexist. Jesus said that the way is hard that leads to life. You know why he said that? Isaiah put it this way. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous his thoughts. That means to follow Christ, you must leave your sin. You must leave your self-determination, your self-ambition, your self-will, your sovereignty over your own life, all of your sense of your own goodness behind. It means acknowledging the creator creature distinction and trusting in Jesus Christ instead of yourself. And it means looking to Christ rather than looking within. It's exactly what Jesus meant in Luke 9, 23, when he said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. 
There are only two religions. Which one do you believe? Have you turned from your sin to embrace the wisdom of God, the Savior, Jesus Christ, and live? Or have you chosen to worship creation and die? There are two options. Are you a oneist or a twoist? If you'd like to talk with someone this morning to learn more about Jesus Christ and what he accomplished in your behalf, right after the service there will be elders who would be glad to speak with you. Or perhaps you have a close friend who is a follower of Jesus Christ and would love to share the truth of God's word with you. If you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, I urge you to make this day a day of decision about your eternal destiny. Let's pray together. Father God, I, I bow before you to thank you this morning for your word, for its clarity, and for the power of its message. Lord, I, I thank you that your truth is such that it impacts every one of us. None of us can escape the fact that we shall spend eternity either with you in your presence, enjoying you forever, or in damnation, suffering eternal punishment. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who has not trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, that today would be the day of his or her salvation. Lord, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for the hope of the gospel in Jesus Christ. I pray, amen.